You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I was very naive. All the way, even through the 84 Olympic Games, I was very naive. And I had to learn it myself, on my own, with my family and friends, and I had to learn it the hard way. Nine-time Olympic gold medalist Carl Lewis. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, the COVID-delayed Tokyo Olympics are getting underway today. Soon enough, we'll know who the newest batch of athletic heroes will be. But throughout the 1980s and into the early 90s, one of the world's dominant sprinters and long jumpers was a young man named Carl Lewis. In addition to a number of world records and world championships, Lewis racked up nine gold medals at the Olympics in 1984, 1988, 1992, and 1996. In fact, there are only two other athletes who have ever done what Lewis did, and that is to win a gold medal in the same individual event in four consecutive Olympic Games. Sports Illustrated even once named him Olympian of the Century. No doubt, Carl Lewis was one of the world's greatest athletes of the time. The problem, according to many of his competitors and some commentators, was that he seemed to be very aware of that. They accused him of a lack of humility and of being aloof. Some even assumed that he must have been on some kind of performance-enhancing drug. Well, in 1990, Carl Lewis wrote a book called Inside Track, and that's when I had the chance to meet him and talk with him. So here now from 1990, Carl Lewis. Over a period of time, a lot of misinformation comes out about anybody who's in the public spotlight. Mm-hmm. And that, that happened to you probably more than happens to most people, except perhaps Morton Downey Jr. Thank <laughs> goodness, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It must have been hard to live with, though. I mean, until the writing of the book, until you had your say, you've, had to, you've, you've lived in the shadow of bad Sports Illustrated articles. You've lived in the shadow of, of who knows how many talk show hosts saying, hey, I don't know all about that Carl Lewis guy. Well, it's it's tough. It's very difficult, and you have to keep your head high. And I want to, want to thank my parents and my family for saying, "Look, don't think badly. Don't get bitter behind what people say or do about you." Um, the main thing is, if you do what you think is right, and you do what's right, and you have your friends and the people that support you, then it's all going to come around. And most of the time, even throughout my career, most of the press has been very positive. But you're right. You do have those people that have the negative part. And what's, I think the thing that really means a lot to me is that most of the negative ones have turned around to positives. Or they just kind of moved on and said, well, let's forget about it. <laughs> I remember Willie Mays once said, whenever anybody asks him, well, who's the next Willie Mays? He would always say, I'm not going to say anything. Because he said it puts so much pressure on that young player. Now. Right. Is it a good idea to tell some young athlete, gee, you could be another Willie Mays, you could be another Jesse Owens? No, I, I don't think so. I think that when you start labeling and you start comparing people, you get into problems. And that was part of the situation that would happen with me. They compared me to Jesse Owens, and being 19 years old, I said, oh, my God, that's tremendous. But then they started to compare our character, uh, every little move of the way, every little step of the way, and, and that was detrimental. I think that we should focus on telling young people to be the best that you can be. And if you have someone that inspires you, well, then use that inspiration to perform at your best. Now, was, supposing you'd had a dad that pushed you into baseball, <laughs> that, pushed, that, that said, don't be looking at that flower. Catch that fly ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do it right. You wouldn't have been another Willie Mays, even if you'd tried. No, I wouldn't have been. Um, 
uh, I tell you one thing. The only thing I might have been been able to do is, is, is everybody says, oh, steel bases. But no, it wasn't there. And I'm really thankful that my family and my parents were involved in track and field and, and involved in sports, period, because they were able to sit back and say, pick and choose what you want to do. We always seemed to do too many things when we were so young. Then as we got older, we um, just cut everything out that we didn't like. Why is it that track and field has one of those reputations like if you can't make the baseball team, can't make football, can't make the basketball team, well, it's always track. <laughs> it's, you know, because it seems, first of all, it's the most rare of sports. I mean, in the most raw of sports, I should say. You know, everybody can run. Whether you're fast or slow, everyone can run. So it's like, well, you can always run track because everyone can run track. <laughs> but everyone can't hit a baseball and everyone can't catch a football. So... It's kind of like the fallback sport. But then, on the positive side, it's the one sport that everyone needs to project themselves and to become better in the other sport. So it's kind of a twofold thing. It's like the one you can fall back on, but it's also, hey, the one that, that really helps you. Do you remember the, the moment when you realized, hey, I'm really good at this? I remember a time, and, and I remember a time in between my junior and senior year when I progressed tremendously in just a matter of a couple of months. And at that time, I didn't understand it. But I think the thing that really told me, hey, you're, you're really good, is when coaches and colleges started to recruit me. Then all of a sudden, you know, you, it's not just your parents saying, way to go, Carl. I mean, good race today. And everyone's saying, oh, what a great race. But now all of a sudden, someone's saying, we want you. Because of what you have done, we're willing to give you a scholarship. In some cases, we're willing to give you money. And that's when it re I really noticed, hey, gosh, this is amazing. Now, did anyone along that way, right around that time, tell you, well, you know, there's also going to be people who are going to give you money that they're not, not supposed to give you money. There's also going to be reporters come along and going to say a lot of nasty things about you. Did anybody tell you anything like no, that? No, that was the thing. I was very naive. All the way, even through the 84 Olympic Games, I was very naive. Because as I came up, you know, everybody, I was a refresh and a fresh new look in track and field. So everyone said, oh, this is wonderful for track. And I was the boy next door and I was all of this. And I had to learn it myself on my own with my family and friends. And I had to learn it the hard way. But I look at it in a way that everybody that achieves a certain status level has to go through that. And I'm just glad it happened at 22. Because when 88 came around or when 89 or 90 comes around and people say, well, you're, I remember, I said, give me a break, come up with something new. So I got through it. I'm alive. I'm not bitter. I'm just happy that I made it. And um, I said, let's move on. There's a paradox, isn't there, that people will always remember what you did way back in 84. But then on the other hand, it's, well, what have you done for me lately? Right. <laughs> <laughs> when Nike offers you money, and you got it in writing in here, you've shown us the, the, the contract. It's illegal. It's against the law. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't somebody go to the newspapers, like everybody's always going to the newspapers with everything else, and say, hey, look what Nike's doing with this? Well, I, there's so much power in it. Um, shoe companies are so powerful right now. There's so much money. I mean, just a, a little college guy was off, was given a $200,000 contract. That isn't just um, someone, that's just, just penny money. It's for, just for me. And there are, there are others, other college athletes, there are other professional athletes at the same time. So I think a lot of it's just simply power. We look at a lot of the major magazines and newspapers, and those companies have sponsorships right in the middle of them. So some of them have to really watch what they say. You never got as many endorsements after the Olympics as a lot of athletes. I mean, you, you're not a Michael Jordan. I mean, you you with your picture everywhere and endorsing everything except toothpicks. <laughs> Why not? Well, there are a couple of things. First of all, um, track and field, as we know, is a lot more popular worldwide. And, and that was a thing. I received so much exposure and so many commercial offers from overseas that um, they were more attractive at the time, not only financially, but time-wise. And a lot of the bad things people said hurt, hurt, you know, hurt my image. And none of it 
was true. You know, that's not what we talk about in the book. We talk mm-hmm. about all those aloofness and homosexual. All that stuff is, is not true. And, you know, a lot of people say those things with a malicious intent. And uh, they, they hurt me publicly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I look back at it as fine. I've been through it. And now a lot of people are coming back to me saying, hey, you know, we really want to support you because of your stand against drugs, because of your, your outspokenness in, in terms of advancing the sport forward and your leadership and trying to get more money for the athletes that need it. And I think... It's just that, you know, people had the intention of hurting me, and in many cases they did. But, you know, a lot of them have fallen, and I'm still here standing. After this short break, how Carl Lewis had to fight back against the steroid rumors. Now back to my 1990 conversation with Carl Lewis. Are there a lot of people who meet you and they assume that because you're an athlete, because you're in track and field, they've heard about this Ben Johnson guy, they assume that you must be on steroids too. Well, there are a lot of people, I think, that um, not a lot in terms of millions, but a lot in terms of, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. that say, gosh, they must be on steroids and they believe a Ben Johnson when he says everybody's on it. And that's why it's so important for me to get down in the trenches. And I spend most of my time at elementary schools or junior highs or high schools talking to students and speaking out against drugs. It's great to sit up and say, I'm on this wonderful committee and I'm on that great committee and sitting there in suit and tie. Hey, get down in the trenches and talk to the kids and tell the young people, don't do it. And let them see and feel and know you. So when someone walks by and says, yeah, that Carl, he's on drugs. No, he isn't. I just saw him and he talked to me and he isn't on anything. He really cares. How do you tell those same kids, though, when they look at somebody like Ben Johnson or, or any of a number, number of baseball, right. football players, basketball players who do marvelous things with their body when they're on drugs? Well, you have to tell them, that, hey, look, eventually every single person that does drugs is going to get caught, whether it's in sports. You know, some have gone through sports, but it, it happens sooner or later. It may happen later on in life. It's just a matter of time. And we have to focus on kids and let them remember that, look, First of all, you're not going to know what your best talent is. You're not going to know what you did. And do you want to live your entire life saying, I could have really been good. I actually could have been good. And do you want to, to threaten your body, you know, sometimes liver damage and kidney damage and, and uh, even possibly cancer and death? And do you want to take the chances and live a lie and also be scared every meet you go to, you're sitting there shaking for two or three days hoping they don't call you and say your test was positive. I mean, it's not worth it. Gee. But, you know, still there's that. There's, a, there's an element of, of excitement, the chance, if you can get away with it. Look, you got a gold medal around right, your neck, right. or you've won this big prize, you got a big endorsement contract now. Hope they don't find out, but if, as long as they don't, hey, I'm, I'm in great exactly. shape. Exactly. Well, see, that's just like Ben. Ben admitted that he, was, he um, had beaten tests about 18 or 19 times or something. Every time he was nervous, every time he was scared. And there's a chance that he was caught some of those times, and they just let him go. I don't know that for a fact, but there's a good chance, and we've heard strong um, information to state that. But, you know, when it comes down to the end, finally, all these kids see Ben win the 100, and they say, he's on steroids. Look, he just raced past Carl Lewis, and he can do it. But when it all comes crashing down, you know, that's the, that's the message we have to give. We have to continue to reiterate that message that it's never going to make it. You're always going to get caught no matter what. And cheating, you always get caught, whether it's a test, whether it's in life, whether it's drugs, you're always going to get caught. What part does religion play in your life? Religion is a very, very important part of my life. Um, I speak very openly about my religious beliefs in, in the book. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'm a born-again Christian, and I have a very good friend of mine that's very inspirational and spiritual to me named Shreeshan Moy that lives in New York. And I'm a type of person that's very open because I think 
inspiration and, and spirituality comes from what inspires you. And I'm not judgmental. I don't go, I'm not going to say you should do this, you should do that in any way. But I'm very strong in my beliefs, and I'm not afraid to talk about it. But I'm not going to try to beat you in the head over, over the head with it about it either. But if you're interested and if I can help inspire you, then I'd love to talk to anybody and say, look, I'm a born-again Christian, and I'm very outspoken about it, and I, I think it's very important to me, but I'm just not going to beat it into you. You need something like that to fall back on when you're the victim of a lot of publicity, when, when, when things don't go your way, when, when people are, are saying things about you that aren't true. Well, you, you need it, and I can remember times when I've, uh, for instance, after the Seoul Olympics and after the 100 meters, when that 100 was over, I knew he was on drugs. I knew he took it. I wanted to win this race for my father. It was the, it was the goal of mine, and he did it again. He took the drugs, got away with it again. That's when your spirituality and, and you're being able to go back and say, look, I, I know this isn't fair, Lord. There's something wrong. I know you're telling me that it's going to work out, and I know there's going to be something down the road for that, but... You know, this is difficult, and that's when you have to deal with that. And then I talked to my, my, my mother and my coach and my manager, and I had to really sit down and search myself and say, you did the right thing, you're doing the right thing, you, you know, it's going to pay off. And little did I know it would be two days later, but that's where it's very important. What is the first thing to go? I mean, one that with, with a lot of athletes, they say, well, the leg's the first thing to go, or the feet, you know, whatever. What's the first thing to go when you're in track? Uh, I, I would think that it's the legs, the quickness and the strength. Um, for me, for a while, I thought it was the mind <laughs> going through all of this stuff. <laughs> but I just had to back off and let the mind regenerate. Um, it's, it's interesting because I have, I, every time I think that, hey, I might be on the edge, I get better. Because right now I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. Mm. But the one thing I pride myself in is I'm not afraid of retirement. I've thought about it enough in my career where I'm not afraid of it. When it, the body starts to go, I'm gone. And I'm going to sit back. I work with the program in Houston, help the young people, and if I can, inspire them and continue to help coach them if I can. Because I've put so much of my life into track and field, and I want to continue to do that. But um, I want to see my kids and my grandkids say, hey, Daddy, it's a great sport, or Granddaddy, it's a great sport. And it would be great to be sitting in a rocking chair, and my little you know, grandson comes up and says, was, was that you? You know, that picture, <laughs> it'll look like a black and white picture looks now. <laughs> and look at my book and say, that's you. And I can sit back and say, yeah, it was great, great times. It'll be this wonderful full-color picture, but by then we'll have holograms. I know, exactly. you, know, no you have to look at a piece of paper to see the picture? <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other world. Well, the main thing is that um, we, we really covered everything very well. And I just want to say that uh, I hope that this book reaches a lot of the people I wanted to reach, like some of the young people. When we talk about being the runt in my family, when, when I was young, a uh, little kid, I thought that every family had someone that, took in all the bad genes. It was like a magnet for bad genes. <laughs> so I felt that really I was the one, and I ended up becoming a world champion. And I think it's important for people to see that we're all, I'm just like everybody else. I make mistakes. I tried to con my coaches and teachers and, and didn't get away with it, and I was reprimanded. So I do everything you do. It's just that um, I've been able to run track very fast. Carl Lewis turned 60 earlier this month. He owns a marketing and branding company. And you can find easy Amazon links to Carl Lewis's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with another 1984 Olympic star, Mary Lou Retton. That smile that you see on the outside that I'm somewhat known for and famous for comes from a place deep inside of me. And I really am fundamentally happy. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, 
I might even call this Back to the Future, my 1987 interview with former Apple CEO, keep in mind, 1987, former Apple CEO John Scully. Someday we are going to see personal computers that may look nothing like the ones we have today. They may be small enough to wear on your wrist, to be sewn into the fabric of your clothes, or even worn in your spectacles. We'll have an infrastructure of information over telecommunications lines. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.